Everyone who hears my teaching and applies it to his life can be compared to a wise man who built wise man who built his house on an unshakable foundation. When the rains fell and the flood came, with fierce winds beating upon his house, it stood firm because of its strong foundation. But everyone who hears my teaching and does not apply it to his life can be compared to a foolish man who built his house on sand. When it rained and rained and the floods came, with wind and waves beating upon his house, it collapsed and was and was swept away. Thank you, Rach. That's an interesting um, translation. That was uh, an unshakable foundation. So in my translation, the NIV, I've got a rock. So, but that's, um, that's, <laughs> just want to point that out. <laughs> so that's where the God, the rock. It's, it's in the kids' version. Oh, is it? <laughs> that's a kids' version. Okay, so that unshakable foundation, uh, that, that Rachel's version was the, was the rock. So we're going to dig into that today um, and what that means. I remember um, hearing the story of a really dodgy builder um, one time who would, uh, lay the foundation before the concrete was, was due to go down. And then after the inspector's gone, he whipped out all the reinforcing. And then the, the, the concrete went down. And once the concrete was down, you couldn't tell that there was no reinforcing in the floor. Um, so there was nothing to warn anyone who bought that house that there was a massive floor in it. You see how good I am? I just bust out those unintentional things. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so imagine if an earthquake struck a house like that. The floor would break up in no time and the, and the whole house would fall apart. So in our reading today, Jesus talks about foundations. And uh, there are three points that I'd like you to try and remember uh, from our study today. The first is that the foundation of rock that Jesus is referring to is God's grace, okay? His grace, his unmerited favour. The second is that there's a constant inclination for us not to live under God's grace. It's always with us. And the third point is that the only way to build our lives on the foundation of the rock of God's grace is to live for an audience of one, okay? Those are our three points. God's grace is the rock. We have this inclination to not live according to God's grace. But if we live for an audience of one, we will um, find that that foundation of rock is strengthened in our lives. So there are three metaphors in the scripture that we've just read. And the, and the first is that the words of Jesus are like a solid foundation of rock. That's the first one. The second, if you picked it up, is that uh, building our lives is like building a house. You have to start with the foundation and then you build on that. And the third is that the difficulties of life are like storms. Winds and rain and floods and, what, and all those kind of things. There are three metaphors. Now, I always thought that this reading was referring to Christians who built their lives on the solid rock of the teachings of Christ and non-Christians who built their life on anything else, the sand. And that's true. But uh, after digging into this passage, it's a bit more uncomfortable than that. So we're going to... Um, see that this morning. So as, as I mentioned, once the house is built, or even once the foundation is poured, the concrete foundation is poured, you can't tell how good it is anymore. And then that when the house gets built on top, you can't see the foundation at all. Um, you can't, it's, it's, it's underneath it. 
Um, so you could have two houses that look identical on the outside, but they're on different foundations. And you wouldn't know, would you? Uh, until a big storm or flood comes and one house stays put and the other gets washed away. So um, the point that Jesus is, is getting here is that those who build their lives on sand can include people uh, who say they're Christian as well as non-Christians. So that's getting to be a little bit uncomfortable and I was, I was a bit like, ooh. And if you look at the previous verses uh, that come before it, this is what we read, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And then when we go into the, in my, in the NIV translation, it's got therefore. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and put them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So that therefore ties in with what's just come before it, right? And what's just come before it is that there are people who Jesus will reject, who say that they've done all these awesome things, and then Jesus will say something very interesting, I never knew you, I never knew you. So there are people who prophesied, drove out demons in Jesus' name and performed many miracles, which is kind of like, like that's people in ministry, <laughs> right? Right? You see that? Uh, and why did Jesus reject them? Because on that day, where did they point? So Jesus, Jesus is saying, um, those who are with me, those who I knew can come into my kingdom. And yet, where do these people point to for the reason why they should be allowed into God's kingdom? Well, they're pointing to what they've done, right? I did all these amazing things. Why can't I come in? And Jesus says, never knew you. <clears throat> so that's quite sobering stuff. These people uh, weren't connected to Jesus. They weren't living for his glory. They were more concerned with their own deeds than, uh, than the fruit of the Spirit, which is why he said he never knew them. So remember, the gospel says that if we come to Jesus and ask him to save us, he will give us his perfection as a gift. If we're perfect in the eyes of God, we don't have to worry anymore about proving that we're good. We don't have to live trying to prove that we're worthy of other people's uh, approval because we've already got the approval of the one whose opinion matters the most. And the Apostle Paul lived this out in his life. And in 1 Corinthians 4, 3 to 4, this is what he writes. But as a matter of fact, it matters very little to me what you or any man thinks of me. I don't even value my opinion of myself. <laughs> but that doesn't justify me before God. My only true judge is God himself. Right? So he's living free of the opinions of others. He's even living free of his own opinion. How good is that? Right? I don't even value my opinion of myself. <laughs> what a cool thing to say. How good would it be to live like that? How, how freeing would it be to live like that? One of the things I'm, I'm grateful to God for through Abide is that I feel God has brought me much further uh, living in this freedom than I was at, at the start. 
before um, uh, God called Sarah and I into ministry. But I still have a fair way to go. And I was, um, I was, I was sitting, <laughs> waiting to turn um, left, and there was a, there was a short window, um, and I, I was like, oh, I'm not going to take that. And next minute, boom! Something, the person behind me gave me a massive toot on the horn. And I was like, oh, I got really, really, don't tell me when to, you know, I got all, and, and it took me a while to kind of like, yeah, sorry, you know? And I was like, the reason I'm, I'm struggling there is because I care what this person thinks, right? If I didn't care what she thought, I thought, well, and, and it wouldn't affect me, right? But because I cared what she thought, and she beeped at me, she expressed her disapproval of my driving. <laughs> I know. And that's probably what it is, right? Right? There's a deeper thing going on there. It's like, I'm a good driver, don't beep at me. You know? And so, yeah, like I said, I still have a way to go. But we don't, this incredible gift, we, we have this potential to live in this freedom. This wonderful gift that Christ has, has purchased for us. But we don't deserve it. Most of the time, we can fool ourselves into thinking that we're good people. And that we deserve God's favour, God's blessing. The wonderful gifts that God has given us. But occasionally, though, we get frightened by some of the thoughts and feelings that come up in us. I don't know about you. Um, a friend uh, recently told me of the extreme bitterness he felt when he wasn't invited <clears throat> to even attend, <clears throat> let alone speak at the anniversary of a Christian organisation that he started. And he got really bitter. He got, he got quite angry. And he knew that that was wrong. He knew that it should have been about Christ. It should... This organisation was about Christ, right? And yet he felt really hurt and angry that he wasn't invited to speak or even attend. But to his credit, he recognised that. And he engaged in it. And instead of going, well, it's their fault, blah, 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 he's like, no, I recognise that there is something in me that needs work. And I'm going to ask the Lord to help me with that. That's the correct way. We shouldn't be surprised if things come up in our lives where we go, Oh, that's not good. What we don't want to do is blame other people for that. We want to engage with it and bring it to the Lord. So we're going to talk about that a bit more. So, that story was to say we're undeserving of God's gift of grace. But Jesus has given it to us. And if we live in that grace, if we make it a reality in our lives... His grace, the perfect gift of righteousness, will, be, will manifest itself in our life in freedom. So, first point is that the rock of which we build our lives on is God's grace. Second point, we have this constant inclination to prove ourselves. In response to God's grace, what, what, how, what is the right way to live? The right way to live is to stop trying to save ourselves. Stop trying to prove that we are somebody by achieving great things. But also stop trying to impress other people. And we instead start living at our gratitude and love for God by obeying whatever he asks us to do. And if that's something spectacular and cool, like miracles and prophesying and really awesome stuff that we love, that's great. But if it's something really uncool 
like cleaning the toilets. That's got to be cool as well. Right? But often, when, when we're called to do the uncool stuff, we start to get bitter. We start to have these feelings of unhappiness and bitterness. And there's a spiritual gravity in each one of us that pulls us constantly towards trying to prove to others that we're somebody, that we're successful, that we've got it going on. And Sarah and I have, have felt this at a new level over the last five years as we've learned abide. <clears throat> and the key issue at stake here is our definition of success. And there's a constant temptation we find ourselves, Sarah and I, to measure ourselves against the success of our ministry. You know, how many people have we got coming along? Is spectacular things happening? Is it a happening place to be? You know, all, this, all these things. And, uh, you know, how many miracles are happening? And we, sometimes we feel like failures when, when what we see doesn't measure up to, to what we think it should be. How we want others to feel about us is probably more important. And Bishop Jay talks, uh, calls it the sideways glance, and we've mentioned it before. We look sideways. Oh, how's their church going? Oh, awesome. They've got really, you know. Oh, how's their church going? Oh, they, we're better than them. They've only got 10. You know, there's this constant sideways glance going on. <clears throat> and I'm sure you've got a sideways glance in your vocation, in your life. The sideways glance at other people's cars, houses, careers, husbands, wives, children, businesses, all that kind of thing. If we continue to allow that sideways glancing, we are shoveling sand into the foundation of our lives. So today we are celebrating the things that might seem small in the eyes of the world, but are huge in the eyes of God, like seeing so many of you changing deeply and becoming like Christ, growing in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, humility and self-control. You might not think you're growing, but we can see it, and we rejoice in it, and we give thanks to God. <clears throat> and that's not to say we don't want to see miracles. We don't want to see wonderful things. One of the highlights of um, my time as a, as a result of being at Abide is that after just preaching on faith, as a gift from God, Sarah's back went out. And I had no expectation. I was like, well, you've got to pray for it. You just preached on faith. You've got to pray for healing. So I was like, okay, Lord, please heal Sarah's back. I had no expectation of anything happening. Next morning, there's Sarah walking around. I was like, wow, that was a, that was a miracle. And if that could happen like every day of the week, I'd be <laughs> praying up a storm. But I don't know, it doesn't. And I have to just hand that over to the Lord. So first point is, is the rock that Jesus is speaking of is his grace. And the second point is it's not easy to live out this grace in our lives because we have this constant pull to justify ourselves uh, by what we do to other ourselves and other people. So third point, living for an audience of one. So this sideways glance of comparing ourselves with others might seem inconsequential, but it's not. It will eventually lead to bitterness and anger. And it's really important you seize those thoughts and feelings and take them immediately to God in prayer. <coughs> and start thanking him that you are perfect, not because you are ahead or behind of most other people you compare yourself to, but because you are in Christ. 
Christ has given you perfect righteousness, his perfection. And we can say, I'm somebody because you love me, Lord. <coughs> the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 to 6, to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Some translations say to uh, take every thought captive um, to Christ. <coughs> and that's, that's really, really hard to do. I'm not sure how you do that. <coughs> but take, to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ is something that's doable. So what does that mean? It means our focus needs to be on how Jesus obeyed perfectly, not on our obedience. Okay? So we look at Jesus' obedience, not our obedience. Because if we look at ourselves and our obedience, how's that going to go? Not too flash. But if we look at Jesus' obedience, how perfectly obedient he was, that's something else. So, for example, if you're struggling with feelings of not being good enough, you think about how Jesus, who was the one person in the universe who was good enough, he was perfect, became sin by taking upon himself the sin of the whole world, including yours, so that you could become good enough. Right? Perfectly good enough, in fact. You're good enough because Jesus says you are, and you have accepted his righteousness. If we live out that, that's the foundation of rock that Jesus is talking about. Jesus' opinion is the only one that matters at the end of the day. And by doing this, we're living for an audience of one. So the more we take ourselves off what other people think and what other people say and even what, how we judge ourselves and we focus it on Christ and his obedience, that's our key to, to increasing the rock, um, the foundation of rock in our lives. So in the Lectio devotion on Thursday, it was a wonderful little study on reorientating our definitions of success around Jesus and the kingdom of God. And the definition of uh, success, according to Jesus, was to know him. And that's it. Right? In Matthew seven twenty three that we looked at earlier, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. That's ultimate failure. If we don't know Christ, that's ultimate failure. There's no coming, there's no coming back from that. But to have um, Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, come and share your master's happiness, that's the greatest success. Right? Whether we know Christ is our success marker. Not how much we've got, how much, how cool a career, how many, how, whether our ministry or whatever. That's the only thing. And for this reason, the author of the Lectio last week, Pete Portal is his name, wrote a book called How to Be Unsuccessful, An Unlikely Guide to Human Flourishing. Right? He's turning upside down. The kingdom, the kingdom of God turns upside down all our definition of success that we normally apply to ourselves. So that's why he said um, how to be unsuccessful. And he's talking about in the eyes of the world. Because that, in the eyes of the world, ultimately it doesn't matter. What really matters is, is whether we know Christ, whether we're living in relationship to Christ. So it's not wrong to have a flourishing career, a flourishing ministry, flourishing family, wealth, relationships and so on. It's just when those things become our ultimate success, when those things start to define us, that's when we go wrong. And we will know we're doing this by our sideways glances. 
and, and how much jealousy we've got in our lives, how much unforgiveness, how much anger, and all those things that the Bible speaks against. All those are markers that we're not living under the grace of God. Okay? This is really important stuff that we're talking about here. So let's make sure we're making God our rock in every aspect of our lives by building on the solid foundation of His grace in our lives. So I just want to close in a prayer from the Lectio, which I thought was so cool. So let's just close our eyes and allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate our hearts and our minds. Let's not be afraid of bringing our very selves, the deepest parts of ourselves to God, because He says we're perfect, remember. We've got nothing to worry about. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to shed His light in our hearts. And let's pray. Lord Jesus, you show me what a life and right relationship with the Father looks like. Would you help me by your Spirit to recognize any area of life where I'm living for the affirmation of anyone other than my loving Heavenly Father, so that that my presence in the world would point others to the key to unsuccess, your presence in me. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.